0: How do we secure vulnerable supply chains? Five risks to look for as businesses bounce back. And consumers now understand supply chains better, including the pain points. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and simulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. To learn more, visit intelligrated.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, COVID-19 has not only changed almost everything in our lives for more than a year, it has also revealed many of the vulnerabilities of our supply chains, especially for certain types of products like lithium ion batteries, pharmaceuticals, and PPE. To better explain about those vulnerabilities and how companies can strengthen and secure their supply chains. Here's Victoria with today's guest. Victoria.
1: Thank you, Dave. Our guest today is Chris Jones, Executive Vice President, Marketing and Services for Logistics Technology Provider, Descartes. Chris is here to talk to us about supply chain vulnerabilities, particularly for lithium ion batteries. Welcome, Chris.
2: Thank you, Victoria.
1: So Descartes is conducting some research on supply chain vulnerabilities, and this is in in light of the recent Biden administration order to review supply chains for critical goods. What's the purpose of your research and how is it going to help companies throughout the supply chain?
2: Well, we got into this uh, actually even before uh, the Biden administration started this. Uh, We knew, for instance, certain kinds of products were uh, uh, having, you know, supply problems. And what we wanted to be able to do was to understand, I'll call it, what, what the risk was around those. So it was really kind of very good timing. And our... Uh, goal with this was to be able to show people, uh, for instance, alternate sourcing strategies, um, how you identify risk uh, in in terms of uh, the sourcing options you have, and and, uh, uh, even uh, looking at other things like uh, tariffs and so forth uh, as you do look at options to make the best decisions that, you know, really help maximize your bottom line.
1: Great. Well, the research, as I understand, deals with a few specific Product categories, and as I said it initially, you know, uh, including lithium-ion batteries, this is an increasingly important product for logistics, given growing interest in you know alternative technologies for powering material handling equip- equipment, delivery vehicles, and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about how vulnerable the supply chain is for these items?
2: Sure. So let's maybe go through a, a couple things here just to paint a picture. Um, one is that uh, uh, you know I think to everybody's your Saying, Victoria, that the demand is definitely uh, up. All right. Uh, and it's, but it's really spiked in the last um, half of uh, 2020. So, uh, you know, the, the pandemic did de- depress it slightly. Um, but when you look at the value of uh, increase, in other words, that what uh, people are getting for the, these batteries, um, it's gone up real uh, tremendously. So just to Give you just a quick example. Uh, there's been a 11% increase year over year uh, in terms of volume, uh, uh, so that would be U.S. imports uh, for uh, lithium-ion batteries. But there's been a th- over 30% increase in the value, or if you will, the price. So it just shows that the demand is is uh, really spiking, and 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 people are having to pay a premium to to you know meet the, the customer requirements. Um, what we're also seeing is that that uh, it's interesting how the market plays out. Uh, surprisingly, maybe for a lot of people um the the uh, top exporter to the u s is is South Korea, so many people would have assumed um, uh, that you know that China, which by the way does ship a huge amount, and i I should qualify this they're the top uh, importer in uh, value, but what's happened is that th- this has taken off immensely so their volumes, for instance, coming out of uh, Korea, are up 90 uh, percent. And uh, one of the real reasons for that has uh, been that the the uh, tariffs that have been put on. So, the if you will, the the trade wars that have gone on. You know, uh, China is currently at 11 percent uh, duty rates into the U.S. and South Korea is at zero. So. What we're seeing is, you know, um, a huge shift here, but also still relatively few players, if you will, dominating this market.
1: And what about um, lithium-ion forklift batteries in particular? Can you speak to how, you know, most of those are sourced and and the potential for any disruption there?
2: Well, yeah, there's a couple things maybe to take a to look at uh, for for that area. So what we did was. Um, we did an analysis, maybe a couple things here. So when you start thinking about batteries, uh, there's let's call it the import of batteries themselves, right? Um, so uh, interesting, we looked at the top 20 uh, forklift manufacturers. Now we just talked about China and South Korea. Guess what? Germany is actually the largest provider of, of batteries for those folks identified, if you will, as as batteries imported. Uh, uh, but when you start looking at uh, material, uh, what you find is that, um, again, you see South Korea, you see other, other countries um, in there, and um, uh, there's been a huge shift. And that shift has occurred really in the last couple of years for these particular manufacturers. So just let, this gets to the whole dynamic of the market. So uh, I'll give it to you this way, in 2018, Korea was 25% of the market, all right, for these 20 manufacturers. Uh, They've gone to uh, zero in 2020, and Germany is now over uh, 30% of that uh, value, all right? And uh, that's come in literally in the span of two years. So we've seen a huge shift here, and I think this just points to one of the things, as I mentioned before, people are – one searching you know for not just uh you know can I get it but how much am I going to pay for it as I said uh you know the the value if you will our price is up 30 percent in last year
1: and you're talking about batteries and the materials used to make them both is that is that what you mean
2: Yes, correct. Correct mm-hmm. here. So sometimes the story is not so uh, call it straightforward. So think of it as you can buy batteries, so as a as a finished item, right, from someone, or you can buy the materials uh, or components, if you will, uh, to assemble them. So that's really kind of what I'm talking about.
1: Thank you. Um, what other products or commodities are most vulnerable right now um, that you're looking at?
2: Well, there's there's really a number of them. This actually goes back to the overall uh, Biden. Uh, uh, edict. Uh, but we we um, we actually are a little broader than what they are. So the uh, semiconductors and printed circuit boards are big ones. As as we all know these days, you've seen automotive companies shut down production lines because they're not able to get chips. Uh, but also printed circuit boards, which probably didn't get as much press, are, are in that same situation. High concentrations uh, of uh, Sourcing in, you know, out of China. Uh, so uh, not that just China itself should be considered an issue, but when you really look at the, the overall situation, there's a lot of eggs in one basket, so to speak. Uh, pharmaceuticals, uh, particularly vaccines, uh, it's a big deal. Again, COVID has really driven this situation, but uh, there's a, a, some fairly narrow sourcing that's going on there. Uh, interesting enough, pharmaceuticals itself, we we've looked at it. Uh, uh, it's not quite in the same situation. Uh, There's a pretty diverse uh, uh, set of countries and manufacturers out there uh, for us. Um, and then maybe the last two uh, PPE, you know, personal protective equipment. That was such a big deal uh, last uh, uh, spring. Uh, everybody was searching for it. The businesses really were challenged to run without it. Um, and it went from being in really critical state to uh, having pretty much leveled out. And believe it or not, the U.S. is the biggest exporter of PPE now. So it's kind of an amazing situation and how it's changed. The last one that was really on the Biden list was rare earth metals. And and in this case, um, what we're really looking at here is not only their sources highly concentrated being China and Russia, um, but uh, it's not so much about the the volume of metals it is really about their role in things like uh, defense and and technology that you know we as a country really just don't have an infrastructure for
1: is the government's action on this issue a wake up call for businesses or do you find that many are already kind of really kind of taking a look at diversifying their um supply base and sourcing
2: well i think it's a combination so Go back to uh, again, uh, let's take China manufacturing a year ago. Um, you know, uh, February 2020, uh, you know, shipments into the US were a fraction of what they were, uh, you know, in uh, 2019. So all of a sudden people uh, were saying, you know, where are we going to get our goods? Now, here's the other uh, shocker uh, many companies had, I'll call it uh, risk mitigation strategies that had maybe two or three or four manufacturers, but they were all in China. So they felt like they were, you had their, you know, their risk spread out. But when you couldn't ship out of China, period, then it didn't really matter. So I think that was part of it. Um, I think what the Biden administration is doing is really kind of taking it to a a next level and saying, hey, we may need to do this as a a concerted effort. And maybe that would be my last point in this, uh, you know, this part of the story, which is, You know, for people to uh, put risk mitigation plans in place, uh, it's going to take some time. It's not a just find somebody tomorrow. And, you know, pharmaceuticals are a really good example. You have to get those uh, manufacturers certified. So it's not a trivial task. And so in some cases, these things can take years. So, you know, there was no better time, I think, than for them to bring it up and say, hey, this is something that uh, all manufacturers and in particular the ones we just talked about uh, should be doing.
1: Can you recommend any sort of general or overall strategies companies can use for building supply chain resiliency? And I just talking about some a second ago, but sort of some general overall guidance.
2: Sure. There's uh, we have a, we call it a three-step process here, uh, identify, analyze, and vet. And so let me explain what those are. So on the identify one, um, you know, we're all talking right at this point in time about uh, called largely uh, imports into the U.S., but the U.S. is only a, a fraction of the global economy, right? It's the biggest player, but still a fraction. There's a lot of goods that are moving uh, globally that never touch um, our uh, shores. So there are sources out there that, that many companies don't know exist. And so finding those um, uh, alternate uh, uh, suppliers is really where people need to get going, right? Uh, Analyze is really important in the following sense I mentioned earlier about duty rates, uh, you know, especially with the uh, uh, duties that were put on by the previous administration and that have not been taken away by the current administration. Uh, There's significant differences out there. It could be anywhere uh, up to 25% difference, right? So just finding a supplier somewhere else, you really need to know what that cost is going to be to actually uh, land that product in the U.S., and then the last one is also really a function of, I'll call it today's environment, uh, which is, we, as we called it VET, which is you need to review the trading partner that you're looking at, right? Uh, the U.S. government has, you know, a significant sanctions list. Um, so it's important to know whether or not that that company or the owner of that company is on that list. And that, by the way, includes even things like uh, 50% ownership. So, uh, you know, a lot of of organizations have very complex ownership structures, and you need to dig in there because the worst thing you can do is go through those first two steps. Say you, you think you found a winner, and then find find out they're owned by somebody that the U.S. government does not want uh, you to conduct business with, right? So, again, simple: identify, analyze, and vet.
1: Thank you. Thanks for joining us today, Chris. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thanks, Victoria.
1: We've been talking to Chris Jones of Descartes. Back to
0: you, Dave. Thank you, Chris and Victoria. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. Ben, we were just talking about supply chain vulnerabilities, and along a similar theme, you wrote this week about a report listing five risks to track for businesses looking to help their supply chain operations recover in 2021. Can you share more about that story?
3: That's right, Dave. Uh, we've all been watching as businesses around the world are rebounding this spring uh, with the rollout of uh, widespread vaccination campaigns and uh, the start of loosening of some pandemic restrictions. But returning to pre-2020 levels of revenue and activity uh, isn't as easy as just throwing a switch. While retail stores and restaurants might just be able to open up their doors again and welcome those paying customers back inside, uh, other sectors uh, will face a much more challenging road back. Uh, We learned this week what some of their specific challenges could be uh, according to an annual risk report from EverStream Analytics. Uh, That's the newly rebranded name for the supply chain risk management firms uh, that were previously known as Resilience 360 and Risk Pulse. Uh, They're now known as EverStream Analytics together, as we said. So one of the group's forecasts was a rise in bankruptcies among smaller and more specialized suppliers. So that's because a lot of governments around the world eased their uh, financial reporting requirements for businesses during the pandemic uh, in a bid to stave off some of the worst impacts of the uh, economic strike. Uh, However, uh, as we've been saying, as economies open back up again, those governments uh, at some point are going to return to their standard regulations. Uh, And that result could be an increase in insolvencies and bankruptcies uh, during the first half of 2021. Uh, Another item on the list uh, is a continued rise in cyber attacks on production sites and logistics operations. Uh, Everstream says that the number of reported cyber attacks, which is, of course, lower than the full number. uh, A lot of companies don't uh, make public when they've been hit. uh, But that number of reported ones more than doubled in 2020. Uh, including threats that we've all read about in the newspapers, like data breaches and ransomware. Uh, so th- th- those are two of the top-line
0: threats. Yeah, well, those are some very serious challenges. Did the report mention any steps that companies are taking to deal with those? Well, they're not exactly
3: solutions, uh, but EverStream did cite three other trends that show ways that businesses are evolving and reacting um, in in reaction to some of those new realities. Uh, One is a trend toward firms moving their production of certain components uh, to reduce supply chain risks. Uh, They might do that by changing to shorter, more localized supply chains that we've often talked about those in terms of nearshoring or reshoring initiatives, uh, bringing factories and production uh, back into a domestic uh, geographic location. Um, Of course, during the pandemic, a lot of businesses were stung by their over-reliance on sort of far-flung global just-in-time supply chains. Uh, So we might see some of that uh, moving either closer or more domestic. Another theme um, is businesses' reaction uh, to some of the reasons for the uh, the, the blockages in those just-in-time deliveries, um, particularly air cargo, which is incredibly constrained. Uh, as people have largely stopped flying, um, a lot of the uh, air freight capacity uh, had been moving in the bellies of those passenger aircraft. Um, so with those grounded, uh, the freight capacity in some trade lanes fell by more than 50% uh, during lockdowns. Uh, There has been a rise in dedicated freighters with no passengers, uh, but it hasn't made up the whole difference there. Uh, So that leads to the final trend, number five on Everstream's list, uh, which was an increasing use of multimodal solutions for moving freight. Uh, Because of that tight air cargo capacity, um, also the ongoing container shortages uh, that that we've been covering. um, And and of course, that ran into some uh, particular uh, stress during the Suez blockage. Uh, organizations can't rely on their uh, traditional trade lanes uh, so they've started to explore alternative routes uh, for, for moving their inventory um, that decision it, interestingly is driven less by cost concerns uh, than it is by the need for reliability uh, and that can be witnessed by statistics like I guess the number of trains connecting between China and Europe increased by more than 40% in, compared to 2019 uh, so companies uh, so some of them are moving their goods overland instead of by air or sea. Uh, It's really, it looks like some big changes are uh, around the horizon here.
0: Yeah, that's all very interesting. I guess we'll see if companies are able to react successfully to those risks. Thanks, Ben. Of course. And Victoria, you wrote this week that consumers are more aware of supply chains than ever before, and they now understand some of the pain points as well that the industry experienced and we've been talking about today. Can you share more about your story?
1: Yes, happy to. So yeah, so one year into the COVID-19 pandemic and consumers are becoming much more familiar with the workings of the supply chain and they're increasingly concerned about product shortages. Um, Earlier this week, enterprise uh, software firm, SAP, released a a report. They polled 1,000 US consumers earlier this year to get their perspective on the greatest supply chain pain points in light of all that's happened in the past year. And they found that more than a third said they've lost confidence in supply chains and that nearly half of them said they've changed their buying habits to include bulk shopping or restocking household items earlier than they did before the pandemic-induced lockdowns uh, took hold last spring. Now, that may not seem all that surprising, but it was interesting to see some numbers put to these consumer buying changes we've been reporting on in the last year. so it was funny, they mentioned you know, some of the, the things that consumers were most frustrated about in a, uh, a year ago, and that was sort of the inability to find things like toilet paper at their local grocery stores. So now it looks like that some of the changes they made in reaction to those uh, situations are, are kind of becoming permanent. The survey found that 70% of consumers switched brands due to supply chain problems in the past year, and that nearly 30% of them never switched back. They also found that consumers are really concerned about a lack of um, supply of a lot of items this year. Uh, They're particularly concerned about food, uh, hygienic or personal care products, and also personal protective equipment, particularly uh, face masks, face coverings. Um, Another point that they mentioned was that uh, consumers are increasingly worried about pending product shortages that we keep hearing um, in the logistics industry, and it, they found that 84% of, of the people they polled are concerned about the available, availability of electronic components in particular. Of course, you know, those are things that are critical to producing everything from smartphones to, you know, cars and trucks. So those are some of the things that are, are top of mind in, um, for consumers these days, much more concerned about the supply chain.
0: Right. That's very interesting. So what are manufacturers, retailers, and e-commerce providers doing in response to those concerns?
1: Yeah, so this is very much in line with what Ben was talking about and what we were talking about with our guest, Chris, earlier. In a nutshell, they're rethinking their supply chain management and sourcing strategies. And part of that change includes finding alternate sources of supply to meet demand more quickly and also keeping more stock of particular items on hand. We've heard a lot of talk about uh, you know, sort of a changing strategy from having just-in-time inventory to just-in-case inventories. You know, when you, you see retailers and others sort of stockpiling uh, more of the items they know will be in demand just so they don't have the problems they had a year ago. Um, the survey also pointed out that you know agility and end to end visibility across your supply chain remain you know key components of any good strategy and this simply means you know getting closer to your trading partners throughout the supply chain and tapping into technology tools that can improve visibility um, and communication. Diversifying your supply base, making sure you're sharing up-to-date information and being connect- connected digitally are, are some of the things that they mentioned. There are, of course, you know, many technology tools and solutions that can help with all of that. Um, and I think it's really interesting that we're just hearing a lot more about those kinds of supply chain management and visibility tools and solutions these days.
0: Right, and it seems to always come down to being able to see it, understand it, and then communicate it to partners properly. Thanks, Victoria. Absolutely. You're welcome. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories, and also check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topic that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thanks, Dave. Always enjoy it. You're welcome. And again, our thanks to Chris Jones of Descartes for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories You can email us at podcast at com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback, and it really does help people to find us. The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of podcasts, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated On the Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcast. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters when we will look at advancements in artificial intelligence. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.